The next case is the second best medical case, number 21, 2099 and 2100. Mr. Coyne, when you're ready. Yes, Your Honor. Can you hear us okay now, Judge Lynn? Judge Lynn, can you hear us now? Yes, I can. Okay. Yes, I can. I was just having a little trouble hearing the judge's questions. Yeah, we moved our microphones to right in front of us, so hopefully that will help. Yeah, I know you're coming across loud and clear. Thank you very much. Okay. Mr. Coyne, thank you for bearing with us. No problem. Please report. So in this inter-parties review, the initial thing I think that needs to be addressed is that for part of it, so for the IPR 2020-0071, and I believe it's 970, there's the issue of whether best medical has standing to even bring this appeal. And I'd like to submit that. Counsel, I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you mean is there standing with respect to claim one to bring the appeal? Right. Yeah, that's what I was actually going to just say. It's only related to claim one. Claim 18 was also an issue in that. In those, claim 18, there's no appeal on that. It's just with respect to claim one. And so the standing issue, the claim cancellation issue, only relate to claim one. And I submit that best medical has standing because best medical was injured, in fact, by the board's decision. Can you just clarify this for me? Claim one is the one that you canceled in reexamination? That's correct, Your Honor. But you didn't fill out whatever or do whatever you needed to do to cancel it in the IPR? Well, that, I think, is probably what one of the disputes is. Well, you didn't do what they usually do in IPR, which is submit some kind of statutory disclaimer or the like. Well, Your Honor, that would be maybe ordinary if the claim was canceled as part of the inter-parties review. This is different because there was a different – No, I understand, but that's what we're looking at for the IPR. You didn't do anything in the IPR to formally cancel the claim. You're relying on your cancellation in the reexam. Well, yeah, but best medical did bring it to the board's attention that the claim was canceled. But you're correct that we did not file a disclaimer. Right. And I would submit that – Okay, I want to get – what's happening with the reexam now? Is it final? The reexam is final. Completely final. Well, it's final. It's on appeal. So it's not final. Well, it's final in terms – in our view – I'm not comfortable with words. I just want to – is it final or is it on appeal to the PTAB? It's on appeal to the PTAB. So it's not final. If that's the definition of what final is. I mean, from our perspective – Well, I think the definition of a final agency action is when it's final and the appeal period has been exhausted. And so it's not. From that – yes, under that definition, it would not be final. From our perspective, during the reexamination – and that was one, actually, that the petitioners of Pelley's filed concurrently with this – the claim was canceled and there was no kind of reservation of we'll bring it back later. From our – what I mean by final in that regard is – Well, you have some squirrelly language with the cancellation. 
You make some kind of right. I don't have it right in front of me. Actually, yeah, it, it, was, it was without prejudice and or disclaimer something with, like without that. yeah without prejudice. It was without prejudice because because of basically this the 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 other actions. I mean, there's, there were two litigations pending at that point in time. One of which is since settled. There was the the interparties review proceeding going on, so it was without prejudice in terms of, you know, not that we can't make arguments in other cases. How was the board to understand it, though? I mean, when the board says, sees, without prejudice, claim one canceled, without prejudice or disclaimer, and they have a duty under SAS to review all the claims that are in the petition, including claim one, why is it unreasonable for them to think they have to treat claim one? Because it's not just canceled, it's canceled uh, without prejudice or disclaimer. Well, I think it was without prejudice or disclaimer with regard to kind of arguments that we've made regarding it's it's the the prior art. But how is the board to know that that's what you meant? Uh, I, I'm not sure that we got into that during the discussion during the board uh, presentation. Uh, but the claim, but I guess from our standpoint, the fact that it was canceled. Even if there was that caveat, which is, I'd submit is, you know, it, it was a double patenting rejection. And so that caveat is oftentimes made, in our view, during, during, you know, patent office proceedings. But the, the fact that remains that the claim was canceled. But the problem for you is the board is, this is not the re-exam. This is an IPR and the board does have the obligation under SAS. And if you haven't filed some kind of formal cancellation or disclaimer in the IPR, they have to go forward with it. And you didn't. You So let, let me get back to what you were trying to get to, which is let's just assume that the board was correct to rule on claim one and to find it invalid. If that's the case, then it seems to me you're probably correct that you have standing because that claim was canceled. What or not that claim was not fully and finally canceled. And my question to you is, are you now? I, I'm a little confused as to where we are because the re-exam is still going on. So that's not final. So the claim is not finally canceled as a result of a final re-examination decision. So are you agreeing that the claim should be considered finally canceled for purposes of this appeal? Because here, here's the thing. If, if that's the case, then why isn't the appeal of that one moot? If you agree. And if you don't agree, if you agree that it's still pending in, in the re-exam, then the board was right to consider it and you're right to appeal it. And it's not moot and you certainly have standing and we can get to the merits. Maybe I should clarify. You have, two, you have kind of contradictory arguments, which is the board shouldn't have addressed this at all because it was canceled and therefore wasn't before them. Um, but now you're saying you have standing. If it was canceled and wasn't before them, then I don't, I think, I don't know if it's standing or mootness, but you can't be arguing about the merits of it now. What, I mean, what is it? What's your view of how this should play out? So, so, so let me let me back up a second also to clarify too. So the claim one was canceled in the reexamination. That is on appeal. The cancellation of claim one or the, or the the 
double patented rejection as part of Claim 1 is not part of the appeal. So we're not arguing, we're not asserting that Claim 1 is coming back or that we're going to reinstate it in any event. So at that point, when you have a notice of appeal you filed with the board, you've canceled the claim, and you're not appealing, identifying Claim 1 as an issue or the double patenting as an issue, at that point is your claim finally canceled? In our view, yes. And I think actually in the petition, in the appellee's view too, I think some of the arguments was originally, well, you know, that the reexamination is still ongoing, there wasn't a final office action until, you know, sometime after the board made its decision. But in our view, you know, once we made the cancellation, there was a final rejection, we appealed to the board, but Claim 1 was not part of the appeal. So the agency, the final action is final as to Claim 1? That's correct. So then why isn't your appeal properly considered moot? Because, and that's where I got to in the beginning, what we consider to be injury in fact. And this, frankly, may be a somewhat novel issue because the injury in fact we're asserting, yes, Claim 1 was canceled for the 096 patent. But the board's decision, since they went ahead with it anyway, was cited by the... Because it wasn't final. Let's just start with the premise that I agree that the board could go forward with it because there hadn't yet been a final office action. Well, under that premise, I think if it's not final, then I think that we would still be injured in fact because that determination of Claim 1 hasn't been made yet. Can we just clarify one more time the timing of this? When did the final office action with regard to Claim 1 occur via the board's decision in the IPR? Was it after or before the board did the IPR? Well, it was before the board issued its final written decision. And the notice of appeal that you filed was before the board decision in the IPR, right? The notice of appeal in the re-exam. The notice of appeal in the re-exam, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, that was before that. Correct. Mr. Coyne, let me see if I've got it correct or not. My understanding is that Claim 1 was canceled in the re-exam. And at the time the board in the IPR made its final decision, while that claim was canceled, it wasn't final because the re-exam was still pending. Is that correct? That's what the board in the IPR said. We're going to address Claim 1 because even though it was canceled, the proceedings are ongoing and it's not final. Right. Well, yeah, specifically. Just bear with me. But then before you appealed to our court, you filed an appeal in the re-exam but did not attempt to reinstate Claim 1. Correct? That's correct. So Claim 1 in the re-exam was dead and not subject to reinstatement or revival or anything else prior to the time you filed your appeal, in this case, to our court. Correct? That's correct. It seems to me that you don't have standing with respect to 
the obviousness question per se on claim one, my understanding is that's not really what you're asserting. You're claiming a basis for injury on the fact that the board's decision on that question is extant and causes injury. Correct? That's correct. Because the fact the board went forward with the decision, even though the claim is canceled, caused injury in fact to the best medical because of what the examiner did in a co-pending re-examination on the 283 patent, which is a parent patent to the 096 patent. I just wanted to clarify what exactly it is that we need to wrestle with with respect to the standing question. And it seems to me that the standing question is all about whether there is some definite, particularized, concrete injury caused merely by the statements made by the board in its decision on claim one. And if that's correct, then we can address that. And I'm not commenting on the merits one way or the other. I just want to see if I can clarify what exactly it is we have to deal with. Right. It's the fact that the board's decision was issued and that decision is now being used by an examiner in a different patent re-examination to say I'm bound by what the PTAB said in this 096 patent. This is a third proceeding. There is a third proceeding in which the patent examiner is saying that he is maybe essentially bound, might be the right words, I don't recall, by there's a claim that I guess is similar to claim one and the prior art rejection involves the same prior art that the board was looking at in the IPR. And I guess you're arguing that the examiner is collaterally stopped or there's issue preclusion. Am I right? Well, the examiner feels that he is... What if the examiner is wrong? And also, why does that give you standing in this case? You can assert those arguments in that case, but not in this case. If you have no interest in getting claim one restored, then how can you have standing? And can you just clarify, because I've heard two different answers and maybe my questions aren't clear. The agency action became final office action and then your notice of appeal, which didn't include claim one. Was it before or after your notice of appeal here? It was before the notice of appeal here. Well, then it seems like you do have a standing problem. If your view is by not appealing claim one, your cancellation became final, then you have no legal interest in that anymore. And so, you know, it was what legally could not... So if your theory is this decision out here may impact a different litigation, that may give you arguments in that litigation, but I don't see how it gives you standing here. Because I guess our argument again is that we were injured in fact by the fact the board issued that decision. Sure. You were maybe injured and maybe had standing at the time the board issued the decision up to and including right until you decided not to appeal that decision. And no longer do you have any standing because you have no interest in getting claim one overturned. 
while we have an interest in either having that decision vacated or if it's determined that there is potential standing on the merits, there was no obviousness in terms of Oldman Vigors wasn't there because Vigors teaches away from, or Vigors basically says you couldn't do what the petitioner said you should be able to do with these references. We've had a lot of questions and you've exhausted your rebuttal time. I'll restore all three minutes. Can we hear from the other side now? Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Is it Lemieux? It's good enough, Your Honor. Well, tell me how to say it correctly. It's Lemieux, but the sounds aren't in American English. I've grown up with it. That's why I go by Ron. I just answer to that and it makes it a lot easier. Good morning, Your Honors. Can you just clarify and make sure that we all understand the timeline? Because I think the timeline is very important. At the time the board issued its decision here, they canceled the claims and re-exam, but there wasn't a final agency action? That's correct. And as the court has pointed out under SAS, the board then was required to go ahead and issue a ruling. But at some point between issuing that decision and appealing to us, there was an final agency office decision and they chose not to appeal Claim 1. And so that became final. That is correct. Just to make sure I've got it right, I think the notice of appeal was filed on June 9, 2021. That's the notice of appeal to the board in the re-exam. And then the notice of appeal in this case was filed on June 25, 2021. Do you have that right? There's a several week difference. Yeah, the notice of appeal to this court was the last item that took place. Before then, there was a notice of appeal. There was a final office action in the 283, the other proceeding segment. And there was a final office action in the 096 re-exam as well. So both of those final office actions had occurred prior to the notice of appeal. We agree completely with the sentiment that I've heard expressed by the bench today that there's no standing here. They lost it. I mean, it's one of those situations, be careful what you ask for. They filed a cancellation in the re-exam. They didn't file, though, the proper notice that they should have under 35316D, I believe. 318D, I'm sorry. They had numerous ways to bring this to the attention to the panel before they issued this final written decision. They just didn't. So what about their argument, which is that they are still injured because of the examiner in another re-examination, perhaps maybe applying collateral estoppel or issue preclusion based on the board's finding with respect to claim one? We would submit... Does issue preclusion even apply? I'm not sure that it does, Your Honor. And that's an issue that really should be part of the appeal from the final office action in the 283. They've posited that this somehow could create for them some collateral problem or that the examiner has said he felt constrained by this. That's an issue that should be brought up in that appeal, which is still pending. That's too speculative for this court on the 096 patent to say, wait a second, there might be a problem in this other patent. We don't know for sure yet. And that appeal is still open and it's pending for them to say that that's the injury, that's the concrete injury cost here that provides them standing in this case. They lost the standing in this case when they canceled their claim. They did not make it final before then. So the panel had to go ahead and issue its decision. 
and it wasn't made final until after the written decision had already occurred. Once they made it final, they lost jurisdiction to appeal that issue in this court. They can still address it in the 283 re-exam, but they lost the ability to address it here. sure that that would be the case necessarily, Your Honor, in terms of, of PTO procedure on, on that appeal. However, if they did, at that point they have concrete injury. Right now it's purely speculation as to whether or not something that may occur in this other co-pending appeal point, may cause the damage. The point, the point I'm trying to make is that um, and, you know, we, we don't know whether this is going to happen or not, but the point I'm trying to make is if it does happen, then it seems to me that their, their, their arguments are constrained because the only thing they can argue is that, well, no, the, the, the claims in, in the 283 re-exam are different and they're not close enough to create, you know, a, an, an obligation for us to follow the earlier rationale expressed in the 096 re-exam. I guess, Your Honor, my, my response to that would be is then they should seek vacator in that appeal. But it's not available here yet. That if, they, if that's the problem, if they actually show in the 283 appeal that this decision has caused them somehow some concrete injury because Well, that of, doesn't seem to make sense either. How can you ask for vacator of a final decision um, in this case for another thing? Isn't Aren't you just limited to arguing that the board's decision was wrong and that the examiner shouldn't follow it and the board shouldn't follow it. That would be true, Your Honor. That's right. They would have no collateral estoppel effect and therefore it shouldn't well, be Well, even if they decide they're going to follow collateral estoppel, I mean, the ultimate answer is they're going to get an appeal to us and we're not bound by that board decision in this case, are we? No. So even if the board finds itself collaterally stopped by this decision, they can still raise all their arguments on the merits to us. That is correct, Your Honor. That is correct. And that's why in this I case... I, I suppose I should have asked uh, Mr. Coyne, but uh, my understanding is that they did not request um, uh, reconsideration of the board's final decision in the IPR that's before us on this issue. Is that right? Correct. They, they, did not. They, didn't, they didn't go back to the board after the final written decision and say, excuse me, 
we shouldn't have addressed claim one. Claim one was canceled. And, you know, this might hurt us down the road. Please remove this. That's correct, Your Honor. They did not seek reconsideration of that part of the final written decision. And it relates to their request for vacator here, Your Honor. They can't ask for vacator when it's a problem of their own doing. The case law is pretty clear on that. You're talking about Munsingware? Munsingware. And even some of the other cases that have been cited in there, the focus, because it's an equitable remedy, is what caused the problem. What caused the problem here was their failure to follow proper procedure and officially either take a statutory disclaimer, file the appropriate motion. They had a number of different ways to do it. They just chose not to do any of them. Munsingware would apply where the case becomes moot based on the unilateral action of you, your client. That's right. That's right. Some unilateral action that we would have taken or if it happened while the appeal was pending. This all happens. This is why it goes to the standing issue. This all occurred before they even filed their notice of appeal, which takes away their ability to file the appeal on claim one in the first place. I would address any of the other issues, but they haven't been raised by counsel. So unless the panel has questions, I'm willing to concede the rest of my time. Thank you. Thank you for restoring some rebuttal time. I think one thing we said is that I think there's been some allusion to our that Best Medical didn't raise this before the board. Best Medical did raise the fact of the cancellation before the board. We did it in our server reply brief. We did it in our argument. We updated our mandatory notices. The board knew full well the claim was canceled. But isn't the real question here that what you're asserting as harm is just not sufficient harm to give you standing in this case? If you want to argue in the other proceeding that the board's decision is incorrect, you can. And it may be that because of the posture, the examiner is going to follow this board decision, the board's going to follow it, and you're going to have to come up to us to get an appeal of those issues. But you're going to get an appeal of those issues, just not here where there's no live controversy anymore. Well, Your Honor, I think that, first of all, the examiner has, we have argued that this decision was incorrectly made to the examiner. The examiner said, I feel bound by what the board did. So he finally canceled the claims. You can argue to the board that he shouldn't have felt bound. You're right. And then the board could say, look, we feel bound because we don't stereotype this with our other panel mates. We don't want to do that. And we could appeal it. But I'd submit the damage, the final rejection has been made. There's going through all that appeal. I just have a quick question. Is that reexamination involved varying medical systems? There's been a settlement with varying medical systems. The specific reexamination that we're talking about, which is the one in which the examiner said they feel bound, is that ex parte or inter partes? And if it's inter partes, who is the party involved other than your client? It was ex parte. It was filed by varying medical systems. 
after this inter-parties review proceeding was initiated. So, I mean, in our view, it was kind of almost a double bite at the apple. They, you know, because of the double patent rejection... I'm just wondering why issue preclusion would even apply. One of the elements for issue preclusion is it's got to be between the same parties. I'm just having trouble with this whole idea that anybody's bound. But I understand it's not an issue before us, but it's an issue for your, that could be raised in the re-exam. I mean, there's a difference between being stopped and bound or just agreeing with it as precedent. And you can always argue that the decisions of the examiner and the PTAB, you know, even if they feel like they have to follow those precedent, are incorrect to us. I just don't see how there's anything beyond really speculative harm in this case. You got to wait till there's actual harm in another case, because that's the only injury you're asserting, is that it might harm you in another case. Well, I think, Your Honor, I think it's injury to the party, not to this case or to this patent. No, I don't think that's right. I mean, I think to have standing, you have to show that the injury can be traceable to something going on in this case. And I think that it is traceable in terms of it's because of the decision in this case that has caused injury to Best Medical because of the decision that was made. And I understand the position that, well, yeah, we can argue this down the road in another appeal after we get through the PTAB appeal in the 283 patent if we don't succeed in that appeal. Okay. I think you're beyond even the time. Thank you, Your Honor. The case is submitted.